welcome to Board Game Binge. The place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Caesar Al-Jassar, founder and director of Alley Cat Games. Alley Cat Games has over 80 titles spanning the globe in both the hobby and mainstream retail markets. Caesar, welcome to the binge. How you doing, sir? <laughs> Thank you very much. That was a lovely intro. <laughs> Nothing but the best for you, sir. Nothing but the best. <laughs> so you and I have been trying to connect for quite some time. I am so pumped to have you on the podcast. Man, you're you're a tough guy to get a hold of. But man, <laughs> once I can get you, I know I'm going to hang on to you like a cat. You know, the cat's getting away. I got to just kind of hang on to you and, and hold you tight. So um, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I know you're a busy guy, so we are going to go through this fairly <laughs> rapidly. Why don't we start with kind of this whole this whole history of like you were in like the whole university circuit writing like papers on stuff it had nothing to do with board games <laughs> tell me about that what was that all about yeah um i, I did a phd in uh structural biology structural and molecular biology um that was at birmingham university in the uk um it felt like a natural progression to continue with that and i, I, I became a, a postdoc so i wrote papers um i did that for a few years um, but towards the end of my very first postdoc, um, I realized it really wasn't for me. And mm. um, just fortuitously at the same time, I was reading Jamie Stegmeier's book about crowdfunding, right? Yep. Like everyone else has. Um, and I thought, well, I could do something like that, <laughs> um, stupidly. <laughs> um, but luckily, um, during the last you know, seven, eight months of my postdoc, I kind of on the side in the nights and in the evenings um, worked on this project called Lab Wars. Um, and I was part of a um, local playtest group, which is now quite synonymous here in the UK. Um, it's got, they've become, a lot of them have become really famous designers, Brett J. Gilbert, Matt Dunstan. Matt Dunstan has sort of spun out his own print and play publishing group called Postmark. Um, so I was under the wing of some really experienced guys and they kind of just taught me how to do stuff really um and the rest is kind of history lab wars was was a success at least for a first time kickstarter um and no one else i, I really wanted to do it on the side uh, i wanted to do science stuff as my main role no one wanted to give me a job for that stuff so i thought i'll try and see what happens if i do this full time and it sort of panned out <laughs> yeah i think lab wars did quite well though did it not like it, it was it was over yeah. fifty thousand pounds was it or even higher it seemed higher yeah yeah, it was like 2,000 backers. Um, but the really interesting thing about it was that um, I managed to speak to a lot of science journalists about, about the project and stuff, and a lot of them are quite enthused about it. And um, Nature News, which is the biggest science outlet, uh, particularly for academics, uh, they get like 50 million uh, unique hits a month. So they plugged it on their homepage um, and said, you know, on launch day, which really helped to, you know, bring it to the forefront. And um yeah, it was really crazy just seeing the statistics that a lot of people actually came from that news article. Um, so it's very different to, you know, the way we do things now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Totally. I mean, 2,000 backers, uh, even by today's standard, is is a good number, right? Like, there'd be people yeah, it's that would a decent kill number, them. yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What year was that? When did you guys launch that first game? Um, that was, I think, June or May 2016. Wow. So, like, seven um, years? Is this a... You guys are... 
in seven in seven years, I mean that's that's incredible. How many how much content you guys have cranked out in such a short period of time? Yeah, how yeah, do you manage it's, it's, that? It's, like, well, I don't know really. Um, I think from my time as a PhD student and a, as a postdoc, um, you know, you had to work within budgets and you had to really concisely think about your time because time was a very valuable commodity because you only had a, a finite number of years to complete your work. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I always had that in mind. So it's, I just take the same mindset here at Alicat, which is, you know, we've got to do it within a certain time, we've got a certain budget. Let's just crank it out, guys. Um, so, yeah, the philosophy's changed since then. Um, you know, we've, nowadays we're trying to massively increase our, the quality of the components and games that we do. Yeah. Um, you know, you just got to roll with the times and, and change and adapt. And I, and I feel like we've kind of done that successfully so far. Yeah. Had you been gaming for a long time before you did the first game? Like, were you like a gamer kind of when you're in school and things like this? Or Yeah, I was, I was, I've always been a gamer, you know, just like every other publisher, they, they've always had some story. My, my story was, um, my best friend, uh, introduced me to Warhammer 40,000 when I was like nine, 10. Um, and then he introduced me to Magic the Gathering. So we did like regional tournaments and stuff. Um, I always played board games and my parents were into backgammon and chess because they were from yeah, Middle sure. Eastern background. Um, but then I didn't really come back to modern board games until maybe I was 20, 21 when I started playing stuff like Catan and yeah. Ticket to Ride and stuff like that. So, yeah. That's amazing. And then your wife is, is part of the company. So did you meet your wife like when <coughs> you're, you're doing your postdoctoral or how did you guys yeah. kind of connect and how's that tie into the games? So she she was doing her PhD the same time as me. Okay. Uh, we met at a very geeky uh, poster conference. So I was I was helping out. I was being paid to run this poster conference, and she was presenting. And I thought, well, actually, she looks quite nice. <laughs> and um, we just got chatting. We and we just hit, instantly hit it off. Actually, and we stayed in touch. And um, yeah, she eventually became my wife to the detriment of her. <laughs> um, but uh, joking aside. Um, yeah, she's she's been really supportive from the beginning. She helped found the company. Um, she doesn't really do so much day to day, but she's my daily sounding board. So yeah. she's very much involved in in that way. So yeah, that's awesome. And, and what's that like having kind of a working relationship with your spouse in addition to like your home life? I I, I know for some people that's like just an absolute nightmare in their mind, but yeah. <laughs> some other people might think that's that's a great thing. How's it, how's it for you guys? Um, well, we're very down to earth kind of people. So, um, we're very honest with each other. Uh, so that's good. You know, I can say something honest, she can say something honest and we won't take it, you know, literally or, or whatever, you know, get upset because sometimes you need to hear constructive feedback that you don't really want to hear. Uh, yeah. right. So, to, and to hear that from your spouse, I guess sometimes can be a little bit negative, but for us, it's always been a, a neutral thing. Um, and, but most of all, she's been super super supportive of everything i've done and you know she always believed that i i could do it um and now she's running her own business by herself and that's taking off and i'm trying to feed that back to her and, and do the same thing for her and just be supportive yeah most companies that are in the hobby industry are you know one to three people um mm -hmm. how have you guys structured like i know you said you've gone through some restructuring with team members and uh, like are these people that are in-house or bolt-ons or how is that kind of how's that kind of set up with you guys for the first few years it was it was mostly me with a few 
kind of people on the sides here and there helping out. Um, and then one of the biggest things that I did was hire Simon Milburn, who who now runs Strander Games, actually. Um, mm. So he always had the mindset of running his own publishing company, but he wanted to learn the ropes and he was really willing, worked hard. And um, I learned from then on that, you know, if you've got good employees sat next to you, you know, the company can take off. And he really helped to propel us to move to a higher, higher level because, well, there was, there were two of us, so we could just bounce off ideas just constantly. Um, yeah. Um, but he since left, he's now works for Dranda full time. So, you know, fair, fair play to him and good luck to him. Uh, really happy for him. Um, but right now we've got me, um, my deputy director, Liam, who's been with us for three years. Um, He's kind of like lead project manager. Uh, we have Agatha, who's new. She's our operations manager. Uh, we've got Alexis, who is our customer service and logistics manager. So there's there's four of us uh, who mostly work full-time. Um, yeah. Me and Liam are the full, full-time staff. But, um, you, you know, but you've got to be careful because there are colleagues of mine uh, in the UK and I've seen in the US where you know you've got you've grown so big because maybe you have this one hit title and maybe it made you a million or two million dollars or something and you get too big for your boots and your next few titles don't do as well and you can't pay the bills um so we've always had a very um down-to-earth approach to how we use our money and how we invest our money and how we pay ourselves it's very much like a batch industry isn't it Right. It's, right. it's like making, like if you were a, a cookie salesperson, you're making cookies and you're making one batch at a time. And until the batch comes out of the oven, you don't know how those cookies are turning out and, and, and what kind of demand right. is going to be and all that. And if the timing is going to be right. So yeah. it, it it is a huge job kind of managing that, right? Like the ebbs and flows of the business in a way that is, is consistent. And, you know, I can see how that would impact a lot of companies where they have, a massive hit, right? And they staff up because they're like, oh, we got to, you know, how are we going to handle all the demand and licensing and things like that? And then yeah, as you're saying, the next game doesn't have that same kind of, that same kind of lift. And now you're laying people off and you're, and you're having to kind of contract the team, right? And then yeah. shouldering more uh, of the, of the workload and so forth, as you're still trying to create other games coming forward, that's got to be a, a, a huge challenge. Um, yeah. How have you guys managed your, um, your kind of development cycle. So your first game you did uh, was obviously your own creation. I think most of the titles you launched now are, are licenses you sign. Is that, is that fair yeah. to say? Or? Yeah. From other designers. Yeah. And then how are you finding, like how are you seeking out and how are you building these different relationships? Um, well, first and foremost, I've always viewed the company as um, relationship building, particularly in the, in the back end. Um, I've always, I've always been a chatty kind of guy. I, I like learning from people. Um, I, I always, I never think I know, I know everything. So I always seek out information and gossip and, uh, you know, ears to the ground about everything. So, um, yeah, I, it's always about, for me, it's been about relationship building and I've really enjoyed that aspect of my role at least, which is speaking to new designers, speaking to experienced designers or, you know, and just staying in touch. Um, and, you know, graphic designers, freelancers, artists, um, these these people who, you know, some consumers may consider our periphery. But actually, 
if you get the right combination of artist, designer, graphic designer, product development, game development, all in the same, you know, product, it will make a beautiful end thing. And I feel like what we did with Arborea was a culmination of just everyone just ticking the right boxes. Um, and that for me is our most recent piece de resistance. I was really, it was really happy with it, really. Um, and yeah. as anyone will tell you who knows me, I'm a grumpy guy and I'm very realistic about things, but, and I never say, oh, you know, I, I'm never like optimistic, but Arborea, I just feel like just ticked a lot of right, right boxes. And it. it was just the right people, right artist, right graphic designer, just so many different things. Um, so, but sometimes it doesn't work out like that. Um, so yeah, but like and did said, you meet this, this designer? Was it at a convention or is this someone you had worked with in the past or I'm just showing on the screen so, for those who are watching live as well. Yeah. So, so we met Danny through, he, he submitted his game to us and he submitted it to the UK games expo, uh, which to a designer and publisher speed dating event. Mm. Um, so it was just, just sheer luck. And, and we said to him, well, we, we, we really like your game. And he was like, well, okay, I'll, I'll sign it up with you guys rather than taking it to the speed dating event. And, um, and then we didn't publish the game until three years later. He had to wait a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so That's tough. But I think when you're with a company like yourself, right, as a, as a designer and, you know, you clearly have a track record, you know, it's okay to wait. Right. It's, and, you, and I would, you know, put many in that classification, you know, the op or Hasbro or any of these kind of companies, spin masters, you know, the companies where, you know, they're pretty consistent in releasing titles, you know, that you're in good hands. I think those are the kind of relationships where there's probably more trust on the designer standpoint you know, on their behalf of saying, okay, I know that, you know, when they are ready, it's going to be good versus maybe with a smaller publisher where they don't have as many titles as a bit of a risk, right. Where they say, okay, well, it's going to be three years from now. Um, it's kind of that opportunity cost of, am I missing out on maybe being with someone else? So I think that's probably a testament to the trust that you've established in the community with the designers you worked with. Yeah. I mean, um, Danny was really patient. Um, and I really like Danny as a person. Um, and <clears throat> I've had experiences in the past where the relationship with the designer has not been so good. Um, yeah. which I won't go into detail, but, um, uh, you know, my recent experiences have been if I enjoy working with the person on a personal level, it's just going to make the whole experience better. And even if the game is not like a triple A blockbuster, but is maybe a double A or, or an A A plus title, I'd rather do that nowadays because you know we're quite we're kind of blessed with the kind of submissions that we have coming through the door, yeah, uh, and the, and the designers that we work with that it's okay to do an A plus title rather than a triple a just because you know you're doing this on a day-to-day -day basis and you know danny's a lovely guy and um he had a great success as well with um, barcelona um mm. so yeah, yeah um yeah it's great for designers out there so without getting into specifics we don't need to talk about you know names or anything like that, but <coughs> more to help other people who are designing games and thinking of pitching to uh publishers and so forth what are some things that you would say are are things that are maybe red flags that would make you not want to work with a designer. Um, so there's designers out there, maybe some advice for them on how to maybe approach publishers or, you know, there, there's the game side, but then there's a the personal side. What are some things they can do on the personal side to make this 
you know, increase their odds of, of having that good relationship? I mean, you know, each publisher is different. Um, and, you know, there are things I would also recommend to publishers as well, because um, I have a lot of friends who are, who are designers, right? Yeah. And I hear some horror stories about how publishers like either treat them or just speak to them on a personal level. So I don't think that, well, for a start, I don't think designers need to grovel or beg, you know, it doesn't need to be like that. And I don't think they need to feel that they need to be on that level because publishers and, and designers, they have to work really closely together to get the game out. Yeah. Um, so first and foremost, believe in yourself and your design, but also just take constructive feedback. Um, uh, and I would say try to ignore publishers who maybe are, you know, a little bit too aggressive in their feedback, let's say. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think my biggest advice would be that there's always a game out there for a publisher. Um, yeah. And, you know, we've had plenty of designs where we've signed them up and within a year or a year and a half, we've realized it doesn't quite fit in anymore with what we were thinking. And most of the time, those designers have gone away and they've they've got to sign up with someone else really quickly already. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, keep keep plugging away. Um, and then sometimes if if the, if the game's just not fun give up on it <laughs> you know I, my, that's my personal experience if you plug, plug it away for two three years put it away and then maybe come back to it at a later date uh, you know so yeah but but yeah um just just believe in yourself is what i'd say to the designers and, and and also get out there because publishers like to create personal relationships with designers because that's that's also part of the fun on our side it's just yeah. making a new friend kind of thing i think it's a game of numbers too right i was talking to um uh, I was at an event this weekend and I ran into a, a local game designer who the person introduced themselves. Oh, I, you know, as we're talking, they said, you know, oh, yeah, I, I do game design. Do you, and right away, I do take submissions. So they said to me and I said, uh, yes, like we, we will take submissions from anybody. We're always willing to look and we will get feedback quick. Our feedback is never personal. And the best thing you can do as a designer is, is realize that um, kind of like what you're saying is, is there's, there's probably a publisher out there for your game, but it may not be the publisher you're showing it to. Like it's got to fit, right? And right. there's tons of games that I even personally like that I would never launch under our Tin Robot Games uh, company, yeah. right? Just because it doesn't fit the tenets of our company and what our company stands for and the specific gamer that, that we're targeting. And, you know, with the following we've had up to that point, we kind of have to stay on brand now with the types of things we're launching. So it's not necessarily anything against that designer. It's just, there's no fit. Right. So, and I can tell that really quickly sometimes. And I know on my end, being a designer where I've pitched my uh, games to, to publishers as well, I actually appreciate getting, give me the feedback as clean and, and as fast as you can. If it's not in the cards, just let me know. And uh, next page, I'm on to the next person. Like it is not a personal thing because I realize that it's got to fit their portfolio. If it doesn't fit their portfolio, yeah. it is going to be a horrific relationship if you've tried to shoehorn something together that's not nat naturally meant to fit it's going to be uncomfortable for everybody right so right um so that's cool the the, the relationship side is, is important to you how much of the um designers uh input do you do you take because i know there's a spectrum there as well and i've talked to designers who are <coughs> the actual publishers but they say if you're with this publisher over here uh you're handing the baton over and it's kind of like 
let me know if you need anything kind of a thing. And then there's other publishers that are very much saying, no, no, we want you part of the design process. And, and we're actually, we're only taking you because you are going to be involved in the design process. Where do you guys fall on that spectrum? Yeah, I mean, um, every project's different. Um, most of the time, if we see something in the game, but it requires input from the designer to make it better, um, you know, we'll we'll ask the designer to join in on the development process. Um, so we've got a we've got a game that signed up from a, I believe it's Swedish, mm. and um, it's it's a really really interesting um, card engine builder tableau kind of game a little bit like terraforming not mars we've been looking for a game like this for a while this popped up and we were like wow this is perfect but it needs a lot of work because obviously it's a it's a big beast right so we said to him we like this core bit but we need you to come and help us out with this stuff and you know would you be willing to do that because otherwise we probably wouldn't have taken it on to be honest because you know the game and he was like yeah for sure and there, there are other games like um usually games from Matt Dunstan and, and Brett J. Gilbert, who we work with a lot, where the games are just done. There's nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. You know, we have to just do our part, which is the art and, and the graphics um, and, and obviously the marketing and stuff. Um, so, yeah, it just, it just really depends. Um, but I think most of all, um, it, it also depends on how we work with the designer and how much, how much are they willing to work on this project and, and so forth. So, yeah. Um, there's lots of sort of question marks, but uh, these usually happen during the contract negotiation stage in terms of what they want to do. And some yeah. designers they really want to be involved, and that that's great sometimes. And sometimes they 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 don't want to be involved, and you know it it kind of depends. So yeah, we're in the middle. I think it's fair to say, as a designer, it might be good to ask the publisher up front or have the discussion about what kind of relationship uh, the publisher wants. Right, because as you as you said, the designer may not want what the publisher wants. The designer may not want to be involved after they hand it over, or they very much want might want to be involved, and uh, and that's where the disconnect is going to be. Is that they were hoping to have more involvement than they likely would with certain publishers, right? So, um, at, at the end of the day, what you're signing away when you when you sign onto the game is it's it's ultimately the publisher's final call, right? And uh, and you got to be willing to uh, to live with that. So. Um, as you are out in this um, this industry with how many of the conventions are you guys able to get to? Because you're very busy, right? And with a smaller team, that's got to be tough. But are you able to get to the larger cons like like the Essens and the Origins and Gen Cons and things like this? So yeah, we 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 always go to Essen, and uh, actually okay. this year we were a sponsor this year of the show, um, and uh, we're a major sponsor of the UK Games Expo. Uh, we go to Gen Con, uh, we do some sponsoring there, and we also go to PAX. We also do a few little ones here and there, um, but those are the four major ones that we do. We, we want to go to Origins at some point. Yeah, um, it's just a little tricky to get to from the UK because I think it's in Columbus, Ohio, right? It is, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then we want to do BGG at some point as well. But every, you know, we can't we can't do all the cons because um, you know we got to make games as well, right? So, yeah. um, and as you probably know, right. Planning for these conventions takes months, months and months and months. Yeah, uh, and I'm actually shocked you, you named off the ones you did. <laughs> like, I'm like, when does he have time to do this? <laughs> well, we've got a lucky team, you know, who, who, you know, we've been there, done that, so we we kind of go through the process. So we're we're good there. But like, we had an incident last year when we went to PAX, and um, our pallet of stock never arrived; it just disappeared. 
Oh my god! Uh, so you know, coming from the UK, you know, I sent three guys from the UK. We sold absolutely nothing, like uh, just just a few cartons of games that they took in their luggage. Um, so things like that, when when you go to these international shows, is really devastating. Uh, but uh, did you ever locate the stock, or is it just no? It just disappeared. No one knows. Everyone blames each other. <laughs> wow! Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know about the retail value. It was maybe like maybe six thousand dollars or something. Not yeah. a huge, huge amount, but it's still like you know. It was a punch in the face, but it is what it is. It's horrible. I, I had that. I was losing sleep going. I went to Essen this year, right? And uh, we brought stock, and uh, and we shipped it with um, with our distributor, uh, um, Games Quest. And uh, I, I was losing sleep over it, and I kept saying to uh, contact Nigel, saying, "Are you sure the stuff is on its way? Like until I know that it's like on right. on the soil and and delivered at the location." Like it's it's just the the epitome of stress going into a convention yeah. and potentially having no stock, right? And, and thankfully, you guys maybe brought some in your suitcases, so you had something to show, right? But that I mean, it you're cooked, right? Once once you're there, I mean, what you got's what you got, right? Yeah, and um, I remember the first show, and it was with Game Quest as well, yeah. Where um, at Essen we were showcasing Dice Hospital, mm-hmm. and um, they brought all the um, expansion packs. But they didn't bring any of the base game, um, so I was, I was shouting at Nigel. I was like, "Dude, you need to get my games like here." And uh, luckily, he had a he had another van. And this is before Brexit, where everything was easy to move stock. Yeah. So uh, uh, he he luckily brought it the next day with it on a van, like a like a backup van of stuff. So yeah, that that was squeaky bum time, as we like to call it. <laughs> With your most recent titles, so you have Aberia, and the other one was called um, uh, Calamara. Calamara, I can never pronounce it. Yeah. Are is there late pledges open for these games at all, or like can people still yeah. late pledge? Yeah, yeah. It... Um, yeah, we don't we don't really push late pledges because, um, to be honest, we usually have them available to buy on our website. Um, yeah. uh, for Calamara, we haven't had the time because of like recent staff changes. Um, uh, so that's not available on our website yet, but yeah, um, late pledges are always available. Um, Arborea is still not um, available to buy in retail, but you can mm. get it early from us, um, from our website as well. So yeah. That's amazing. Now, can you talk about what you guys have coming next? Cause I know you've got obviously a lot of titles, so I know there's something coming. I just don't know if you're allowed to talk about it. Can you talk about what you got coming next? We've well, always got lots of stuff coming up. Um, but the one I'm most excited about, and we haven't really officially announced it, but I'm happy to exclusively announce it here. Oh, exclusive. Is, um, we got an exclusive yeah, break here. Okay, right. nice. Uh, so our next advanced game, and that's what we usually like to put on Kickstarter nowadays. Yeah. So it's a it's a medium, medium heavy game. Um, and uh, it's it's going to be the first game in the Great Thinkers line. So it's going to be centered around a, a, a scientific figure. So in this first one, it's centered around Ada Lovelace. Okay. And um, it's going to be a medium heavy euro based around a semi-fictional uh, world of hers where um, her and her assistants um, use what she used to call, the, well, it is called the analytical engine or analytical machine. So um, it's, got, it's got dice rondelle, it's got set collection, it's got worker placement, um, it's got lots of like really, really nice goodness um, for, you know, for heavy euros. So if, if people liked... Um, Autobahn or Amon Ray or Arborea or Kalamala, um, these kind of like heavier euros, um, you know, you're probably going to love this one. So it's the first of a trilogy that we're creating. 
Oh, that sounds cool. When, when is it coming out? Like, when are you guys launching it? Uh, so probably spring next year. Okay. So yeah, is there we're going anywhere... to be releasing the front cover pretty soon. So yeah. and can is there somewhere people can go and like sign up for to get on the list or to <laughs> kind of get a preview um, of that or? So um, li we literally haven't released any information about it. Uh, so uh, this is this is the first uh, mention about it anywhere. But um, basically, if you just go onto our website and sign up to the mailing list, you'll you'll be the first to find out. Oh, so, so that's alleycatgames.com, I believe, right? Yeah, that's right. Oh, amazing. Well, Caesar, uh, I want to wish you all the best on this upcoming game. I can't wait to check it out. Congrats on just where you guys have got as a company in such a short period of time. Seven years is not a long time to crank out the number of SKUs you guys have cranked out. So, <laughs> man, I don't know when you sleep. You guys are just workhorses. So congrats on that. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to see this next title and I want to wish you all the best this coming year and hopefully we can run into each other at the next, uh, next con, maybe next year when we go to Essen. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Really appreciate it. No worries, my friend. You take care. Cheers. This has been an episode of the board game binge podcast hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.